So welcome to the Quality of Mind Transforming Business podcast. This is where we explore the new game-changing understanding that can unlock new levels of performance, resourcefulness, and well-being in the workplace. Join us if you want to be part of the new breed of leaders in business. Join us if you're fed up with the conventional echo chamber. And join us if you want to be part of the new revolution in understanding how the mind works and recognize that we are more than just our psychology and that that can lead to better results. Hello and welcome to the Transforming Business Quality of Mind podcast series. And today's episode, I've got another really great interview lined up. I'm really looking forward to this one because it's, it's a bit different to what I normally do, which you'll find out why in a moment. I'm lucky enough to be joined by Kat Keeley from Beep. And she, amongst many things, runs a wonderful podcast called Humans Leading Humans, which we're going to get into. But Kat, firstly, welcome to the show. Thank you for inviting me, Piers. I'm really excited. Well, it's great. And we've already had some really great conversations. So our job is going to be trying to keep this into time because I think we can both talk very nicely. So, Katz, can you give listeners, just to start with, just a minute or two uh, nutshell on your background and then we'll get into the, the meat of the show? Yeah, so, um, so I fell in love with digital in 2000 i did a big commissioning scheme which was inviting artists to start being playful with technology which was an extraordinary couple of years because i was right at the beginning of this kind of movement and what was interesting about that is i was working with big companies and with the innovators and just seeing how they mismatched Mm -hmm. and so then i set up a company and as far as i know we built the very first ever open innovation competition platform Uh, which invited clients to give us clear questions. We'd put it on the platform. We'd then ping that out to all of our ecosystem, all of the innovators, and ask them to respond to that challenge. But what would happen then is those innovators would get chewed up and spat out by the corporate antibodies. Mm -hmm. So then I started working on the inside of large organizations, trying to help leaders understand that digital isn't about the technology it's about how do we use digital as a tool to break down the barriers between people how do we use digital to help people be more collaborative to communicate better yada yada and then i got headhunted by the un or one agency of the un the itu and that was the most extraordinary journey because somebody who'd been an entrepreneur on the outside being on the inside at a very senior position in possibly the most bureaucratic hierarchical organization yeah. in the world and the most change resistant was a real shock to the system. And I tell the story as if it was easy, but it really wasn't. It was a, it was a shock to me and made it clear that actually the environments in which people work are so important on every level um and so what we did was we um i rather than me going in there going i'm a digital expert so we're going to start using these technologies to transform the way we work 
I went in and said, look, I don't really know your organization. and I'm not going to stay here. So I want to find change agents, bring them together, get them into design thinking workshops, get them to work with me to think about what can we really do? How can we get people to feel engaged again and feel like they're part of a movement towards something positive? Um, and then the technology all came from the back of that. So when I left the UN, I realized a couple of things that then have shaped the rest of my life. One of them is, it's certainly not the people in the UN's fault, but the operating model that it works within or works with is makes it impossible for people to do their best. It makes it impossible for people to kind of release their own potential. So um, I left there thinking, A, I didn't realize how bad the state of the world was. I mean, the, the, the speed, of, I, was, I was quite naive about such things, I suppose. Mm. B, I realized that actually political organizations, international organizations are just not set up to actually do anything about it. Um, and so I then decided to focus all of my energy on unleashing the potential of corporations, because I think if we can persuade corporations that um, if they can make more money by treating people better. So I've really focused on trying to help leaders to nurture the environments in which humans can thrive because yes. funnily enough yes. when humans are thriving the corporation does better yes. who knew <laughs> yes there you go spot on so when you humans do better the organization does better and the question is how do we get humans to do better yeah yes. absolutely beautiful sorry i interrupted your flow carry on so beep is um the business that i'm running now it's a set of processes and will be a technology that uses a particular framework to unleash the potential of humans and to show everybody inside the organization that they can be creative, that they can be a problem solver. And in the process then, change the operating model so that it's more human centric. Yeah, yeah. I love it, yeah. And, and you know, you and I are both trying to do the same thing with same objective which is to get humans to do better so organizations do better now it's interesting because our leverage point is slightly different you know i'm purely at the very high level of the mind and you're all about the environment processes frameworks and things that can help that happen now what i started to notice in your amazing podcast series was the golden thread link between what i'm looking at and what you're looking at and I just want to say to listeners is that usually when I, for regular listeners, this is usually when I'm recommending a podcast, it's usually something quite highfalutin spiritual about the mind, but I'm going to recommend your podcast to people because it's absolutely spot on. Firstly, your quality of guests is phenomenal and they've got such interesting, proper, genuine life experience of this stuff. And you ask them such great questions and, and they give great answers, which all points to what the power of you know, the human being is. So I'd highly recommend it, put it in the show notes. Um, and what I want to get into on our conversation is the link, if you like, between what I bang on about with quality of mind and what you're finding from all your wonderful interviews. And of course, the decades before of all your experience in change, innovation and people. So that's what I'd love to get into, because I think it's so valuable. And you've got a wealth of experience in what I can see. Well, I can't wait. I can't wait. <laughs> so where do we start? Well, I, I, I suppose a very broad question would be from everything you've 
you know come across in in your world and particularly in in the podcast that you've been doing recently you've obviously realized and the leaders you're talking to have realized the power of being a human being leading other human beings makes great things for the people and the organization and if you had to put your finger on maybe one two or even three things that you think is consistent through what those people are tapping into even though the form will be different and the context will be different could you encapsulate it down into one or two themes that you think are just fundamentally underlying everything about what what a human need, a leader needs to be to be truly human in their way of being so i can also contextualize where this comes from because um, after having done lots of work and built lots of bits of tech and uh, done lots of stuff uh, it was only after I left the UN that I realized that I knew that these processes, approaches, methodologies, text work, but I didn't know why. Yes. So it's very much about um, starting from looking at the conditions in which humans thrive. Right. Um, now, if you and I have spent a lot of time looking at the conditions where people thrive and the create framework, uh, which is what the podcast is all based around is the result of all of that research. But then if you look at the way that most organizations work, the conditions are diametrically opposed to these conditions in the, in the... So what is one of the biggest thing that keeps coming through is co-creation. Mm -hmm. uh, we humans are social, we're social creatures. And in social environments where you know people and you trust people and know you're watching out for each other's backs, we're really, really, our potential is unleashed. We're as good as we can be, you know, we're mm. innovative and creative and all of those good things. And then there's the other state, which is the fight or flight state. Or mm -hmm. the state. And if you look at the traditional way of running a company, um, it is exactly the conditions that will always trigger the risk state. And one of those things is if you bring change at people from out of the blue, their initial physiological reaction is to go into the fight or flight state. They feel mm -hmm. anxious, they feel uncomfortable, they feel. Um, and so the way you avoid that, and of course, because we're herd creatures, which we are, and Mark Earls was one of the people I talked to who's been working a lot on this idea of the herd mentality of the human. If one person starts feeling uncomfortable, the rest of the organization feels uncomfortable. Everybody, and no, and people, the worst thing is that people aren't even aware of what this uncomfortableness means. Mm. Basically, it's, I don't know what this means. It's coming at me from out of the blue. My whole system is going into hyperdrive of negativity. <laughs> and this is happening all of the time. So m many or most of the people that I talk to, the leaders that I talk to, talk. Uh, Isabel Naidu, absolutely extraordinary leader, works at FIS Global under a woman called Denise Roberts. They've got the people part absolutely right. They understand that if you co-create with people, people want that. To, it's, it's what Dan Ariely calls the IKEA effect. Mm. If people are part of making something, they treasure that thing. Mm. And people understand that with the concept of making a thing, but it's the same as strategy. So if you constantly co-create with people rather than delivering something to them from out the blue, people feel proud of it. People don't dislike change. They dislike having change done to them. Yes, and yes. 
that's something that keeps coming out all of the time. It's like we are getting change wrong. You know, mm -hmm. Sasha talked in, in the latest podcast, talked about this brilliant, um, and it's a story that I tell a lot, actually. It's lovely listening to her telling it herself. They, in the middle of the um, crisis, the financial crisis, they had to get rid of 400 people. They had too many people, couldn't pay for them. Now, normally what would happen is a leader would come up with a right-sizing strategy and everyone in the organization would kind of know this is going on and in silence lies fear and then the 400 people will be told they have to leave and everybody else is kind of rocked by this so she thought well why are we doing it like that why don't we have a conversation with people about how we can do this in the right way and so she pulled together a bunch of people and said, look, we have to cut costs. What are we going to do, guys? Mm. And of course, they were upset and hurt and anxious. But actually, they ended up getting to the at the end of that situation. Some people took four days a week. Some people decided to leave. They owned the change. So they got to the end of that situation, but they only had to make 100 people redundant. Yeah. It's, it's such a key point because we talk in making change work about behind the eye change and in front of the eye change, in front of the eye change being done to you and behind the eye where you've had the realization or the obviousness about that change because of the circumstances. And I think co-creation is so important because it helps behind the eye change because people get to realize and see this can't carry on like method A, we need to go to method B, right? But if you're doing it to people, it forces them into fight or flight, as you said, right? So absolutely key. And, and I think leaders need to see that, don't they? Because otherwise they're going to be always going uphill. Um, so- And actually what they do is they hire McKinsey or they hire Deloitte and Deloitte comes in. And again, if you think about the fact that we're tribal, yeah. Um, and we, we and our job as a leader actually should be about fostering that tribalness, getting people to feel they're part of a community, watch each other's backs and all that kind of thing. And so what happens is when you get an outsider coming in, they're the other tribe. Yeah. They're the outsiders. They squirrel away in their dark hole doing stuff that nobody quite understands and then deliver a strategy. And then the leaders come to us and go, why is this strategy not working? Yeah. I'll go, hmm. Why are we going uphill? Exactly. I think, so, so if I'm broadening it out, because you said something really interesting earlier, that what Beat points to and what you point to is getting the right conditions and processes for fertile change and for humans to excel. And from what I know about your create framework, there's kind of, I think there's 18 words I looked at around connection and trust and equity and collaboration and recognition, all, all wonderful things, right? And almost like an organization can look at that and think, well, where are we at on that? You know, blah, blah, blah. Now, what I think is fascinating if I go to the mind now is, and this is what I'd be curious to get your view on, is that what I see is that when leaders or people or organizations are in what I would call a high quality of mind, a high aperture of mind, those things that you're pointing to with create just sort of happen as a symptom. They pop out of an obviousness of how to be, to be collaborative, to ask your colleagues what you think, to, to trust. So they are a natural symptom of a high quality of mind. And then sometimes what we can do, framework and a process, is try and reverse engineer that because we have seen it present when it works. So I'd, I'd love to get your view on that if, if my question is clear about reverse engineering versus it just being an organic symptom of a high quality of mind. It is. Uh, yeah, so, so I think 
where the framework and it's it's way too complex and i know it is but actually all of those things are really important yeah you know um how does your operating system look at communications is it about hiring a comms company who then push things out i'm going to communicate at people or are you actually incentivizing people to have proper conversations open conversations um you know do you incentivize people to be curious uh, do you give people, you know, do you trust people? Do you really trust people? Do you give them the autonomy to do things? All of that stuff. And so the this framework, I think you can have an individual who's in a good place. And as an individual, we all need to go through our personal change. Mm-hmm. And every single person across the organization has to go through their own personal change. Mm-hmm. But what mm-hmm. you can do is you can architect the right conditions Right. In which people are aware of those things and yes. are um, setting up governance systems that are actually incentivizing those things. So it, 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 you're exactly right. Actually, this is our natural state. It's natural in a community to thank people for what they're doing. Yeah. Respect, compassion, understanding. Yes. Yes. Completely. So what you're doing is reducing the friction in the system that's been accidentally set up to go the wrong way. Yes, which is, well, I don't know about accidentally. I mean, you know, (laughs) let's think about this. (laughs) Who would do it on purpose? We did it on purpose. And the reason why I hate the word HR, and I think that HR departments should be actually, they shouldn't be an HR department. They should be somebody who's in charge in architecting culture. Yeah. Yeah. And that architecting culture should be about how are we making sure that every single person across our organization is thinking about people. Yes. But if you think about the way that company, I mean, this is obvious really, but you know, companies were set up in a time where we were still manufacturing stuff. And so uh, human beings were there to keep the machines running. They were resourced to keep the, the machines the, They were a carbon unit, yeah. Yes, and so all of our organizations are set up with rational at the core, as if humans are machines, mm-hmm, and we mm-hmm. have blueprints. And so they weren't set up by mistake. They were set up for a time which no longer exists. Mm-hmm. And so we've kept on, as Sasha was saying, about the economic system, the financial system. Um, it made sense then. It doesn't make any sense now. Mm-hmm. And so we've held on because, again, humans don't like change. We will hold on to the status quo and especially if you're feeling uncomfortable. Well, well, if you're not in a good quality of mind, I agree, you, you know, change, you, you try and resist it. So question for you. So when you're talking to leaders and, and those ones that have been successful and, and all, the, all the people you, lovely people you've had on your show, yeah. do you get a sense that there's an, at one level, when, when they're in flow, there's an obviousness to how to get the best out of other people. It, it just is part of what how we're set up if the conditions are favorable and if we're in a good space. Yes. And actually, as I say, if you're in a, a community of friends, uh, the way that you behave with your community of friends is the create framework. It's, yeah. it's normal human behavior. Yes. Um, and for some reason within the corporate beast, those behaviors completely change. Yes. People are forced into a situation where, well, I can't, I can't be authentic. I can't talk about my personal life. Um, they talk about the separation between business and life. Well, I'm sorry, but as far as I know, you're still alive while you're at business. <laughs> yes. 
So yes. there, there is a bunch of kind of received wisdoms about the way that things should be done as a leader in a corporation um, that are diametrically opposed to the way that we should have set them up. And yes. Te, te, and the reason I'm doing the podcast is because I'll often talk to leaders and they say all of the stuff you're all the fluffy stuff you're talking about culture operating systems kind of understand how that would work in one kind of company like startups or tech companies mm. it could never work in a corporation and I'll go well that's not true because I talk to it. the most amazing leaders all of the time who tell me the stories that um actually give me the commercial benefits of being a real leader. And by a real leader, as I say, for me, the only job of a leader is to nurture the environment in which humans can thrive. And so, and they go, oh yeah, it can't be true. Okay. So the reason I started doing um, humans leading humans was I'm, I'm bringing the people who are working inside large complex organizations to show this is not fluffy. This is common sense. If you want your business to operate at its best, the best thing you can do is unleash the potential of your people. And yes. the way you're working right now, guys, is doing exactly the opposite. And I think it's interesting that, you know, the more that we spend on tech, the more that we talk about digital transformation, um, and, and there are trillions and trillions of dollars of companies trying to figure out how they can make their companies better. And the more they send on tech, because of the way they're doing it, the less engaged people are. And now we're ending with this great resignation piece where people have gone, they've had COVID, they've worked from home and they've gone, actually, no, I'm not putting up with that environment anymore. I'm not putting mm. up with an environment where people don't thank me for the work that I do, where they block in my calendar as mm. if they own my time, yada, yada, yada. Um, Here's one for your thoughts. And I work with some great futurist guy and, and he, one of his views is that as things evolve and tech goes the way it's going the and it gets smarter and smarter with ai machine learning etc the role of the human and the value out of the human will be to do those things that tech can't do right which is the higher functionings of the human like like synthesis judgment creativity love compassion those things that ai and machine learning probably can't get to right so therefore the human being needs to be at its very, very, very best and, and it's most human, right? In order to add value where the machines and the technology can't. So his view is the leaders need to be helping us get into our flow, our mojo, our higher levels of consciousness, whatever you want to call it, right? Higher aperture of quality of mind, I'd call it, because otherwise in the future, the you, there'll be no need for us. <laughs> now, he's just putting a scenario out there for the debate for a conversation, but what's your view on that? Um, I suppose my view is that technology is only an enabler, mm -hmm. it's never a solution. I think that it's a lot easier to buy a piece of tech to fix something uh, than to deal with the real problem. Um, do I think that AI is as smart as people are saying it is? No, I do not. In fact, I think the idea of AI is limited. We're talking about machine learning most of the time. I yeah, to, yeah. yeah. So take, take machine learning. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So um, do I think that it's absolutely crucially important to start setting up a work environment where people are problem solvers, where they are collaborators, where they understand what empathy means so that they can use the technology to best effect? Exactly. 100%, yeah. Because yeah. 
as far as I know, nothing's really changed over the last 30 years. The most expensive line item on your budget as a leader is people. Yeah. And if those 87% of those people are coming in to work every day and clocking in and, and switching off, which is exactly what's going on, mm. those figures are not good. And so you can keep buying the tech and keep hoping the tech will fix things, or you can use the tech to get the best out of your people. Mm, exactly. Well, Spot on. Yeah. And your job, you know, as, as, as Vince Cerf said in his, um, mm. uh, it was really interesting actually asking Vince Cerf, who invented the internet, in case you don't know who he is, to talk about marketing, to talk about culture. Yeah. Um, and he was saying a business's only job is to serve a customer. Now, that customer doesn't want to be dealt with by technology. That customer, when they deal with your company, and, and we've seen the companies that try and do this, they want to deal with a person. They want to hear from a person. They want to hear that somebody's super proud of working where they're working. You know, customer experience and employee experience are absolutely interlinked. The yin and the yang, aren't they? They are they are yeah. two touch points of the same coin in, in a way. And I, I yeah. So let's imagine you're doing the the, the podcast series is it's 10 years time you're still doing it right you probably won't but let, you know what do you, <laughs> so forward think now what do you think thematically will be coming up in 10 years time i think it'll be exactly the same thing because right. you know yes. humans, humans we've been human since we were on the savannah exactly. yeah. our drivers are the same the way that we behave in social environments is the same the thing that makes me me is the same as you know made my great great grandmother her it you know it's the same things we still want to be part of a community we want to know people have got our backs we want to know that we can be honest if something goes wrong we want to know that people trust us that you know all of the above it really is common sense and the reason that our strap line is common sense by the way you may like this i it was one of those aha moments yeah an insight lovely common sense is one of those things that we bandy around oh use your common sense mm. but if you think what that actually means common means something that's shared between one or more individuals or mm -hmm. organizations or units a sense is a means by which you can adapt quickly to the external environment Mm. So if you think about that within the context of any organization where actually what we're talking about there is crowdsourced wisdom. Yeah. Um, so I don't think it'd be any different. I think at the end of the day, what I'd like to say is that I won't need to do I won't need to do podcasts in 10 years because people will have realized the obvious. Yes. Realized that if they're not nurturing environments in which humans thrive, they can't run a good business. Mm. No, I, I, I'm with you. I think it's. It dresses itself up in different clothes, but it's the same, the, the same issue. And I'm really curious to see where the evolution of consciousness and wherever goes on, on that. But let's come back to something I just wanted to, we, we skated over, but it's so, so, so important in, in far as what I can see. So enabling people to see the obviousness of operating in this way, which, which would then lead them to being more in the, what the creator is pointing to. Um, what, so the question we then have is, well, what's in the way? Right. Now, we've talked about how organizations and systems have been set up in, in, a, in a different era, but at the human level, what's in the way? Now, what I see is in the way that doesn't allow us to be in our obviousness more is a misunderstanding of the nature of 
reality and the mind. And that's a very profound statement. Regular listeners to this podcast will know exactly what I mean. But it's it's our misunderstanding of of how to get the best out of the mind, what the mind is, what the self is, what reality is that gets in the way. And we take ourselves in a way, to put it in very layman's terms, far too seriously, right? So we had we had this uh, sort of shortcut language in quality of mind, which is that whatever we're experiencing is real, but never true. So it's real, it turns up on the screen of perception, we feel it, see it, smell it, but it's not objectively true, why? Because there is no objective truth because it's consciousness first, right? So it can't be objectively true, but the ego, the self, takes it as true and mm. lives life as if it's true. And then it gets very attached to it, invested in it. And it, and then the ego has to defend and protect and we get all the behaviors that are unhelpful. But when we're in a well flow state, we just intuitively see that and off we go and our obviousness pours through. So my question is for you, having spoken to these leaders, my sense is they get the role of the power of the mind. Do you think they see there's a role in how we can evolve our understanding of it overtly as well as intuitively? Are, are they there on understand, needing to know actually people need to be educated more in the power of the mind? Do you think they're there yet? I do not think that. I think that the people that I'm talking to are probably... They've been through their own journey and yes. they've figured out how, yes, they've spent a lot of time with mentors, reading through the research, trying to manifest their learnings. But it's hard because, and one of, you know, we were talking earlier about, about digital literacy and how important it is to start when people are young. Yes. How, wouldn't it be amazing if in schools, while our brains are, are they're most malleable because they're always malleable that's always you know we can definitely change mindsets and behaviors but wouldn't it be amazing if we start talking about this at schools that this becomes a mm. core subject you know the behavioral sciences how does the human behave how what drives human behavior how can you best be in touch with your own state from youth, as opposed to, at the moment, you're delivered a sense of reality, which is about, you have to do these things. Mm. This is the way things work. You don't want to see behind all that because you need to get your head into a place where you can join the machine. Yes, so it's trying, it's trying to prepare you for life, but a life that is, it's trying to prepare you for the rat race, the hamster wheel, you know. The operating so models that no job. longer work. E exactly. Make exactly. as much money as you can. Make yes. sure that you're a person who can be a professional. And everything's in. I mean, I, I find it with my kids, you know, 11 and 13 now, everything's a preparation for something else, <laughs> right? So you do this mock exam to prepare you for the exam you're going to have later, which means you prepare yourself for this exam later, which, which allows you then to go to university, which means a lot. So everything is like, sort of like a, a, a weird rat race thingy. And it, and it just, it, 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 it promotes the wrong way of seeing what the self is that it's this or, thing yeah or, or i'm going it. to work Seeking. my ass off for a leader who doesn't care about me and doesn't respect me and doesn't reward me i have to go into a zombie state in every day that i go to work because of that i don't give my best but i'm going to keep on doing it because i've got a mortgage to pay mm. or i'm going to keep on doing it because i need to buy that big car or I'm going to keep on doing it because mm. I need that amazing holiday. Because the seeking, chasing. We, 
Yeah, or I'm, I'm going to save loads of money because when I'm 60, I'm going to retire and that's when I'm going to buy my yacht. Mm, I'll enjoy life when I'm 60. I'll, I'll just, yeah, exa- exactly. So th- so if you were... We, 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 we are taught to put up and shut up and aim for the prizes that are of no interest to me whatsoever, in all honesty. And I don't think they should be for anybody. Money is very useful. It's a very useful byproduct. It's a utilitarian tool, yes. 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 So, d- different type of question. It, given your knowledge of leadership and humanness, if you were, and you might actually do this, if you were mentoring a young startup leader and you could give them two pieces of advice or tips or pointers, what would you say? <sighs> What would I say? I I would say, don't be pushed into a scenario where everything you're doing is about money by an investor. Mm-hmm. Because if you do that and you get forced into turning your company into the worst example of what you think a corporation should look like, you will never, A, you'll never really feel... Um, you'll never feel right about it anyway, and you'll never get the best out of the people. You're never gonna be fully productive, fully profitable. What you're gonna do is, is burn people out and make yourself feel bad in the process. So I guess what I tell a leader is just keep remembering whatever happens, if you wanna get the best out of your people, your only job is to create the environments in which humans thrive and make sure that every single person that you're hiring joins with that in mind. Mm. okay to make mistakes it's you will feel psychologically safe here and if you don't we want to hear about that um you we will ask you to collaborate and to actually say when things aren't going wrong and then we'll empower you um to find solutions to those blockers as they happen because they will because we are complex and people bring them you know for all of the reasons that we know but yeah i think and, and it's strange because i think many people who have startups they usually great business people. They've got great ideas, but it doesn't mean they're a good leader. Mm. Well, uh, that's a good question. Is that, I mean, I mean, firstly, let's say now you're giving advice to someone who's 20 years in and they're kind of, oh, it can't be like as easy as you make it out, blah, blah, blah. You know, one of the slightly more cynical ones. It, am, I, am I guessing your advice would be similar to them? That the first part of your advice would be the same? Go to the conditions that create, you know, we, yes. we, or would it be different? I mean, I don't. It would be the same. And one of the things and the reason that I'm interviewing a behavioral scientist, but then Mm. if I'm talking to leaders, they're always from big, complex organizations, but they're from finance Mm. and uh, they're from uh, technology and they're from charities and the government. Um, It's always the same thing. If you're a leader in a large, complex organization, you have to do the same things to get the best out of your people. And um, so it's, it's the same. If there's more than say 25 people in your company, you have to start thinking about how you're gonna architect a culture in which people thrive and therefore want to stay with you and want to tell all of the people they know about how amazing it is to work there so other people want to join you. Mm. And has anything surprised you in doing the podcasts? what you've heard 
Has anything surprised me? I, I don't think anything surprised me. I think what's delighted me is the, the fact that these leaders, and they're all very senior, as you say, have felt so safe to be able to share the things they've got wrong mm-hmm. and be able to talk about how that's impacted their career or the business or the government they were working with. So that's been joyful. And I remember when I first started, I kept saying to people, don't just talk about the things you've got right. Don't just talk about, oh, I did this and that happened because you know what, that's not how it goes. If you go through the fear of what if it goes wrong because I'm doing things differently, you know, it's hard. It's, you have to be really courageous to be a good leader. Um, so I think the thing that, you know, and, I, and, I, and I've been saying this to people all the way through, don't just talk about the things that went well, talk mm. about the things that went badly. How did they impact the company? And it's been wonderfully refreshing that people have felt safe to do that. Yeah. And I, and I think, see, what I find fascinating is you know, I, I, the format of your show is you ask people to share three stories, you know, which, which are fascinating stories because they're such interesting people. Now, I'm, my view on, on the power of a story now is sort of shifted in the last 10 years. It, it's wonderfully engaging for the conceptual mind, but I love to see what is behind the story not just and and all oh, that means that that person is person x so i don't mean their personality but what human spiritual human truths psycho spiritual truths are we seeing behind the story that the story is illustrating because sometimes we get so involved in the story the example the close we don't see the the fundamental behind it so that's what i and as you say you, you've talked to people from different sectors different industries different levels of experience but i think behind it there's a beautiful golden thread running and it fits into the mind for me and and when you're in that when they're in their flow that's when they're they're all automatically symptomatically producing the things that you would then put on the create framework so i think it's about people being for me is an invitation for people to to listen not just to the story, but to what is behind that and be a little bit more discerning in the insights that they allow themselves to have as if, you, as if you could allow yourself to have an insight or not, but just assume you could for the moment to what they explore. And that's what I've got more and more fascinated with in my work. And the more I do that, the more I start to see that the leverage for all this wonderful humanness that we want to open up and create is at the most foundational point of even before the self now that may make sense to some people and not others because that's the power it's sitting behind the story is a lovely illustrator but it's behind that does that make any sense it does and the reason that i asked them to tell these short snackable stories um because i think what tends to happen is there's a lot of talk about theory and there's a lot of talk about rational data and actually what the brain does when it's listening to those um you know, those, the facts and the rational and the percentages and the, the numbers and the brain goes into the bit of the brain, which is about rational lights up. And that's the only thing that happens. And so actually what happens then is you, you go, oh, where does that data come from? Analytical, analytical. Yes. Whereas if you tell a story and all of the emotions and that go with actually having been through that experience, and people can listen to that more easily and want to share that story in a way that you don't with data 
Yes. And I, it's very interesting you say that because I, I, the, the data puts the mind into analytical mode. Story yeah. puts the mind into sort of relatable mode, if you want to call yes. it that. And I think there's a different mode as well, yes. which is, let's call it upstream mode or seeing the nature, the nature of the system, not the content of what the system produces, but the yes. nature of it. And that's something I don't think we explore yet very much. And that's what we do with quality of mind. We go to what's the mechanics and the nature of the mind here, not the content of what it cooks and produces, which is beautifully relatable and lovely and snackable and shareable because it sounds very abstract at one level, but there's a, such a richness that cascades from it, such a richness. So, and I, you know, and that's why I'd be really um, recommending people who like the quality of mind podcast to also listen to yours and see what they pick up behind the story. Um, mm. And as well as enjoy the stories because they are, great stories and great leaders and you ask great questions so um Kat, we're getting to the end of time sadly i mean i could just talk for hours and hours um, <laughs> so and there's been some real gems in what you've said i wish we could have div- dived more into some of it but uh, we did a smorgasbord is there anything you'd like to leave people with any little anything else you'd like to say in, in a succinct summary of this or anything else you didn't mention at all that you think is valuable building upon what you said I think the golden thread is that all of the leaders that I talk to, no matter where they're from, have gone through a journey of self-knowledge. And uh-huh. I think that's what gives them the strength and the courage to do what they feel is right. Mm, right. So that, that, that they've got a level of realisation for themselves about the nature of what they are. And that has allowed them to be more, let's use that word slightly overused, authentic. Exactly. But it allows them to feel safer and then they, they can be in that aperture that produces create. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You yeah. call it, you know, I call it being a hundred percent themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Which ironically is to me when you're not in the self. Right. So, uh, <laughs> but that, that, that's for, that's for another podcast. So. Um, oh my goodness. You can't leave on that. No. Oh, I can. I can. <laughs> oh, I so can because th- that, that's the teasing element of what, what we do. And we can have a, we could have a part two conversation if you want to dive into that, because that, that's a nut- nutshell for me is when we realize that we're not what we think we are, that we really become what we are. Yes. Which just, to, just to confuse it more at the end there with a, with a uh, semantic uh, bit of gymnastics. So I want to big, big thanks because I know you're super busy. Um, you do lots and lots of wonderful things in the world from what I can see. And I probably only know 5% of it. So thank you. I've really enjoyed this. I think listeners will as well. Going to mega again, recommend your podcast series to people. I'll put it in the show notes. Um, thank you for coming on. And I look forward to seeing what emerges for us. I've absolutely loved it, Piers. Thank you so much for inviting me. And uh, yeah, I'm yeah, I'm looking forward to hearing the rest of your podcast as well. Brilliant. Look forward to it. Okay, Thanks. take care. Thank Bye. you. Bye. Listeners, have fun being curious and catch you next time. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast and want to know more, check out our website at qualityofmind.biz and also feel free to reach out and leave us a review or a comment. Until next time, have fun being curious.